you could bring the word cloud up, I want to be able to remind you that we are a Bible-believing church. There may be a lot of things that are going on, but one thing that anchors us is the word of God. When you step into this building, our prayer is that your eyes are drawn to the open Bible. Uh, we want your Bible to be read. I kind of jokingly say mine is. You're supposed to laugh at that one. Okay. Uh, we want you to read the word of God, and that's one of the things you can count on when you're coming to church, that you will hear the word of God proclaimed, because in it, the gospel is proclaimed. And we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. And uh, when you look at our word cloud, we cherish the worship service. We don't want to close the doors no matter what's going on. If it's possible, we would like to gather and meet with God to worship. Because we're longing for people not to stay the same, but to get fit for heaven to live with him there. As we come together, I want to open the Bible up to the book of John. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of John. Uh, the message today is in concert with the cantata, and uh, it is coming off of the, uh, if, if you follow along in your bulletin, you're going to see that during this month, uh, we have been looking at the gospel uh, narratives that tell us about Jesus coming and Jesus coming again. There's a fourth point page for those of you that are unfamiliar with it. There's on the back table there, and it kind of gives a little bit of an idea of where we're going. About each Sunday, we've been looking at the gospel through, we've been looking at the Advent through each of the gospel writers' eyes. Uh, we spent some time with Matthew, and, uh, and we also spent some time with Mark. And last week, I'm thankful, as Paul was bringing up the, the, uh, the information about Luke and what Luke told us about the nativity. And today, we're looking at John. You know, I asked this question as we begin part of the sermon, is the Christmas carols that we sang, how many of them do you think get credited to John? Maybe you can walk with me through this. What about we three kings? Who, who, who inspired that one? The book of Matthew, because that's where we learn about the three magi in chapter one. What about hark the herald angels? Who, where do you think we got that? From Luke, Luke chapter 2, because we hear lots of proclamations about uh, out by the field. Uh, if you were going to say, away in a manger. Where does the scripture talk about the manger? Only from Luke. Luke got it from the eye eyewitnesses account. And uh, if you sing, while by the sheep we watched at night. Who was watching the sheep? It was the shepherds. And how do we know about the shepherds? Well, Luke talked to them, and he got eyewitness accounts. So Luke gets credit there. What about, uh, oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. Who was talking about the, the stars? You could definitely say Luke. By, you can almost default to Luke on everything, because Luke tells us an awful lot, uh, including probably when you think about a silent night, or, or if, if you sing more, some of the more contemporary ones, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Where do we learn about Mary? You know, that Mary, that child that you've delivered will soon deliver you, that was also from Luke. Uh, we read about how Mary pondered these things in her heart. Luke probably spoke with Mary. Or maybe about, uh, how can it be, this baby in my arms, sleeping now so peacefully. That's Joseph's song that Michael Card wrote. And it tells us uh, about the story that Joseph probably understood from Matthew. Now, how many times did I mention John? 
It's almost like John doesn't get credit for inspiring anything, although there are a few that I think could be attributed to him. Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. Hmm, do you see how that might fit, John? What about the uh, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, wonderful counselor, you know, Amy Grant's song, or you might even come through, oh, come all ye faithful. John might get credit for that, but why? Why? When you think about it, you're going to realize that John does leave out a lot of the details of the narrative of the first advent. Today's message is a little bit abbreviated, but I want to be able to show you uh, four things about this from John's writings about the advents of Christ. First, I want to talk about the basics of John's narrative. It's really basic, really brief. Secondly, I'm going to be talking about the bluntness of John's narrative of Christmas. Man, when you see it, you're going to say, whoa, I didn't see that before. But it's in your face. The third thing I want to show you is the blessings of John's narrative. And you know these words. When I get to them in John chapter 14, oh, it'll echo in your ears. And you'll say, oh, that was John. And then when I want to take you to the book uh, at the end, the, uh, the boldness of John's narrative. It turns things upside down. Who is John, by the way? If you've been to Sunday school class listening to David's teaching, what chapter are you on now? Chapter 10. There are a lot of things you can learn from John. John fills us in some interesting insights. He's one of the inner three in the circle of, of Christ's network. Peter, James, and John. So if you think about John, John was aware of almost every single thing going on, including when Jesus was glowing on the Mount of Transfiguration. You can see that John was there when they caught all the fish. John was there a lot of times. There's only a few things that he might not have noticed, but John gives us an interesting account of the life of Jesus. And so as I go to the, uh, the basics, we want to cover all of John's writings. He was one of the big writers in the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the three epistles of John. And he also wrote what I call the Gospel of Revelation. He wrote the last book as well. So when you combine all of his writings, he wrote a lot. He reveals a lot to us about Jesus Christ. And when I talk about the gospel, and I call even Revelation the gospel, it just means the revealing or the good news about Jesus. John is one of the only ones who tells us about Jesus' humiliation and about his exaltation. It's pretty neat. And we're going to see that today. But first, let's begin with the basics of John's narrative. The basics is very, very simple in verse 11. If you have your Bibles open to John chapter uh, 1, verse 11, it says, this is the narrative story. He came. Pretty basic, isn't it? Is there any manger? Is there any wise men? Is there any shepherds? Any angels? No, when John the Beloved, the one who was in intimately close to Jesus, when he wrote this about three decades after Jesus had ascended to heaven, he didn't focus on all those little things that, that make for great Christmas carols. He simply said one thing. He came. Anybody that walks around this world today and doesn't celebrate the real meaning of Christmas, they are denying what John plainly and basically says to us. Jesus came. 
We try to teach our kids that it's the birthday of Jesus. That's at least a great way of telling us that he came. Now, in verse 14, those of you that are familiar with the text, you're going to see that it just a little bit explained it. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is the only extra explanation that he gives, that the word became flesh. Now, I wanted to highlight for you that when you realize that, that who came, the focus is not on the how, but on the who. And so if you read the first chapter of John, John doesn't get all caught up with whether there was swaddling clothes or whether there was sheep there or whether there was a rainy day. John doesn't focus on any of that. It's not about the how, it's about the who. Look at how John chapter 1 begins. In the beginning was the Word. Now, those of you that are pretty good Bible scholars, what other book begins with in the beginning? Good. You guys are pretty sharp. You passed that test. So John is actually comparing to Moses' writing, and he basically is taking you all the way back to the beginning. So when John is telling us about the nativity scene in the Gospel of John, he says, the guy who came was in the beginning. The one who showed up there is from the beginning. And if I wanted to be theologically accurate, I'd actually tell you he was even before the beginning. Before, God's, before God spoke, there was nothing except God. And so when God spoke, that's when time came into existence. That's when this world came into existence. That's when the skies and the heavens, all these things. It's really amazing that the way John presents this nativity scene or this, this first advent is simply that he came. And I put it like this. The one from the beginning, he was Secondly, the promised one to the covenant community. If you look at verse 11, he goes on to say that he came to his own. He came to his own and through, and, and, and uh, it's really interesting there, is that who are Jesus' own? Some of you have to figure that one out to say, well, do you have to be a Bible scholar to figure out who is the ones that he came to? Well, what John is trying to tell us is that, that Jesus came to the covenant community. Jesus didn't come to some foreign country or something like that. He came to the place where that had been preserved, the lineage of the gospel message, especially through Abraham's seed. And so we would call them the Hebrews, or today they'd be known as the Jews, but I like to call them the covenant community. They were all identified as the people of God. They were all circumcised. They all understood the Passover. They all did those, cer those ceremonies, and they were the ones who held on to the scriptures from Moses and the prophets and from David and the Psalms. They were the ones who treasured it, and this, were the, this was the covenant community. He promised to the promised one to the covenant community. He's the one that was promised to, to the first person in the church, and I believe that was Eve and then Adam, that there was going to be a baby born. He came to his own. Thirdly, you find out that John tells us that he was the one bridging from heaven to earth. And I look at the end of chapter 1, which what would if you were John and you were writing about the, the beginning of Jesus... Yeah, you talk about the fact that he was from the beginning and he came to the covenant community. But at the end of it, after he picks Nathanael, it's quite interesting in verses 50 and 51. It says, Jesus answered and said to him, because I said this to you, that I saw you under the fig tree. He says, you will see greater things. And verse 51 explains it. He's looking at Nathanael and he says, let me tell you who I am. And John wants us to know. He's the only one that tells us about this response. Most assuredly, I say to you hereafter that you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon 
the Son of Man. Isn't that interesting? We do get an angel story, but we don't have glory to God in the highest. No, we have Jesus simply revealing to Nathaniel that he's the cosmic crossroads. He is the link between heaven and earth. And in chapter 1, John wants his audience to know who came, the one who has got access to heaven. Now, one thing you'll find out if you're studying the book of John or coming to David's class, you're going to know that Jesus also identified who he was. And John is the one that tells us about the I am's of Jesus. I am the door. I am the shepherd. I am the bread of life. And then you could finish this verse. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And you can go through, in fact, in John 11, I am the resurrection it is really interesting that Jesus clearly identified who he was, and John wanted us to know who came. It wasn't just an average thing. Now, we get excited when a baby comes, right? But can you imagine how John is trying to tell you that this was not just some little baby? This was the Son of God! Now, when he came, that was the basics. Secondly, I want to highlight the, the bluntness of John's narrative. This goes back to our verse. He came unto his own. Isn't that wonderful? But what does the next verse, next phrase tell us? And his own. If you bring up that verse for me, it's John chapter 1, verse 11. He came unto his own, and his own rejected him. Boy, isn't this a great Christmas story? Jesus came, the great Son of God, and he was rejected. Now, those of you that are familiar and listen to the cantata lyrics, you're going to also know that we were quoting from Isaiah. Who hath believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall come like a, like a root out of dry ground, and, and he'll have no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there'll be no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief, and we hid as if it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. That's all that John is telling us, that Jesus was going to fulfill Isaiah 53, and he was going to be rejected. But when I tell you about this bluntness, at the same verse that he's saying he was rejected, he came into his own and they rejected him, it also goes on to say, but as many as received him. And this is the bluntness this Christmas Sunday that I want to give to you, that when Jesus came to this earth, there were a lot of people who rejected him. They turned away from him. They were, they were disgusted with him. They, they, they flirted a little bit. They might have looked, but, but they walked away. And the majority of them just shouted, crucify him. But there were some who received him. Now, the bluntness of this simple, station, uh, uh, this simple statement makes me wonder, which camp are you in? When you hear Christmas coming, are you secularizing or are you seeing the sacredness? That in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them who are under the curse, Galatians 4.4. It's quite interesting that uh, his own did not receive him. This is very similar to Genesis chapter 37 when little Joseph was the, one of the younger brothers of the 12. Remember Jacob had all those sons. They end up becoming tribes. Uh, and Joseph was sent out by his dad to go visit them. And guess what happened? Joseph went out to his brothers. And of course, Joseph was the meanest brother you could ever imagine. I mean, Joseph would stick his finger in your eye, right? No, Joseph was the nicest little guy. 
And his dad gave him that coat of many colors. And Joseph was just fixing things. Joseph was an organizer. Joseph got a lot of things done. But the brothers didn't like him. They thought he was favorite. Maybe he was. But Joseph didn't have an evil spirit. Joseph was quite naive. But Joseph came to his brothers. And his brothers did not receive him either. When you study Genesis 37, you're going to realize that they rejected him. And they said, we don't want to have you to speak to us. We don't want to be put down by you. We are better than you, and we're going to kill you. And so initially, they threw him into a pit. And of course, the older brother had some wisdom to say, that's not a good thing. They sold him into slavery, which is almost the same. And who would have ever dreamed that that was a portrait of what Jesus was doing? And John, in chapter 1, as he explains it so bluntly, Jesus came to his own, and they treated him the same. The Jewish community did not embrace Christ. But there were who, some who did. And this is where it's a beautiful passage, and I don't have enough time to explain it all. But as many as received him, to them he gave the authority or the right to be called the children of God. Isn't that cool? This is how you become a part of the family of God. To as many as receive the Christ. And this is how the nativity or the, the, the first advent of Christ is presented to us. Now, I'm quickly moving through because I want you to see the whole of John's writings. Now, there was the basics that he came. There was the, uh, the bluntness that when he came, some people or most people rejected him, but some did receive him. Then the, the blessing that he, uh, the blessing of John's narrative, if you read through, you're going to find out that John doesn't tell us or John quickly tells us in the early chapters of his book that Jesus is going to come again. Now, with that, why would that be comforting? I mean, you've been waiting 400 years. John the baptizer has just come out, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. That's all in chapter 1. And now, Jesus ends up telling us, John's writing, that Jesus says, Well, I'm only going to be here a little while. You're only going to have me a short time, and I'll be leaving. Now, what happens when somebody's going to leave? Well, if you're like Tracy and I, when we had the empty nest syndrome, it was, uh, we weren't really looking to, forward to having an empty house, uh, except for two cats and a dog. We're learning to live with it, right, Trace? There's some beauty to it. But there's some sadness when there's going away. But if you look to John chapter 14, John chapter 14 is a familiar text. I almost read it at every funeral service. Why? Because we feel like somebody's gone away. And Jesus begins there, and John is the only one to tell us these things. Don't be worried. Let not your heart be troubled. John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Let me read it for you. If you believe in God, then he says you should also be believing in me. That's in Jesus. In heaven, in my Father's house, there are many rooms or mansions. If it weren't true, I would tell you. But he says it is true. It is true. He knows heaven because, remember, he's the cosmic crossroads at the end of chapter 1. John already let us know. And he says, uh, I go to prepare a place for you. That's good news, but it's bad news. He's leaving. John is telling us in his narrative that he's going to go. And in verse 3, he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, this is the good news. I will do what? Come again. 
We're only in chapter 14 of John's book. You know, we're, yes, we're a little more than halfway through, but do you see how the narrative has this blessing? That yes, Jesus came, but also Jesus is coming again. Now, when you realize John was pretty excited about Jesus coming again, uh, did, Jesus, did John know anything about Jesus? Did you hear me out a little bit? Was John just a casual bystander? No, John knew all kinds of details. John was like unveiling. He like pulled back the curtain and let you look in. And John told us all these things. And that's why when you read all, all about the IMs, you also find out about all these cool miracles. And you find out the three years of Jesus' ministry because there's three Passovers. John is the one that fills us all in with that. Wow. But John tells us that there's something more coming. That it's not just that Jesus has come but he's coming again. Now that makes you beg the question. Well, we all get pretty happy at, at Christmas time, right? At least if you're a retailer, you like it. You know, and, and maybe, maybe if you're a consumer right now, you may not be as happy because you can't buy everything you want. Uh, you can't even go to a restaurant and get in very quick because there's not enough employees to do a, all the job. You're hoping that things will be delivered. We tried to send out a, a Christmas newsletter uh, and we couldn't even get the paper to be shipped here within two weeks. It's crazy what kind of world we're living in. But Christmas time is usually a great, wonderful time of the year. We're all happy, are we? I have seen more pain in the last, few, in the last week when I've seen folks not being able to even celebrate together. There's a divisive spirit in the air. And even the family unit, even the bonds of marriage, even the bonds of, of having children... The bonds of the family are being yanked apart as people are saying, if you don't do what I want, then I can't be with you. And if you're going to have that kind of attitude, I don't want to be around you. And it's like, whoa, where did this come from? I don't know which side you land on, but I'll tell you that God did not want us to be split up. He bonded us together. And whenever you hear about the idea of family, it ought not to be to repel people. It ought to bring them together. I wish you could be on one of the Zoom calls that my family's had of late. My mom is turning 90 on January 7th. And if anyone want to give her a birthday blessing, I'll be glad to put that on a video. Uh, had to get that commercial in. But as we're trying to plan this 90th birthday party, there's eight children. And all eight of us look like the Brady Bunch on the Zoom call. You know, all those little boxes and uh, four boys and four girls. It's really quite interesting how all this is coming together. But this is beautiful to see the family starting to gel. And as the family members are coming together, you know what we're finding out? Things that we didn't know about each other. Because during the last 10 years, during the last 15 years, we haven't spent much time together. Employments have taken us across the country. Our new spouses and their new family have pulled us in different ways. Our children have grown up and they are having kids and we only kind of cocoon around those. I'm learning some things about my brother and sister with cystic fibrosis. I'm learning some things about my other ones that are trying to find employment that's, that's stable in, in this new season. Watching the health issues that are all unfolding and the vulnerabilities of some of them. There's some real beauty. Even from my sister and brother-in-law over in Hawaii as missionaries. Life's not been easy with COVID. You know, they're the foreigners that have been living there for over 25 years. And because of COVID, many people don't even want to ever step foot in their church again. It's really interesting to watch families. And we thought that the theological family was never going to break apart. 
There was the bonds that would bring us together. Why are we brothers and sisters? Because John chapter 1, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called sons and daughters of God. Are you a son or daughter of God? By the way, there's no gender confusion. You're either a son of God or a daughter of God. I tell you, that's the way scripture teaches it, and that's the way it is. Now, when you realize that that makes us all brothers and sisters if we have received Christ. But how many have received Christ? He came unto his own, and the majority of them rejected. But the remnant, the few that received him, they became the family of God. Brothers and sisters, that's one thing this Christmas I want you to hang on to. Don't let things pull us apart. Don't let time or distance, don't even let the words from your mouth or the thoughts of your head to think the wrong things. If we are brothers and sisters in Christ, we are united. I told you there's four points in this, and this is the one I want to finish with, the boldness of John's narrative. We've already seen the basics. He came. The, the, the bluntness of it is that some people received him and some didn't. They really didn't understand what was going on. It was veiled to them. Then the third thing was the blessings of John's narrative is to say that there was even going to be more. That even after Jesus, who was born to die, was going to go to the cross to pay for our sins, he was going to come again to receive us unto himself. That meant there's a future. There is something to look forward to. A blessed hope. Romans 8, when we get there in the Roman series, you're going to see nothing can separate us from that hope. But this last point is the boldness of John's narrative. And in, in this boldness, we are, it's regarding his next appearing. He is going to show up again. Now, as John, as I just wrap this thoughts together, John is just saying, oh, isn't it nice? Jesus came, and Jesus is going to come again. And it's almost like it doesn't matter what you do during the week. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter where you spend your money. It doesn't matter if you put anything in the offering box or not. Nothing matters because Jesus came and Jesus is coming again. And we would say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I do want you to know that the scripture here tells us a little bit more. How many of you have a favorite Bible verse from the Gospel of John? Maybe from chapter 3? See if you could finish this verse with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That John 3.16 verse is so beautiful. Everybody knows it. Maybe because Tim Tebow put it under his eyes, right? But did you hear the last word? Perish. That last phrase. There's going to be a lot of people that perish. But there's going to be some that won't. Is this a new concept? No. John is just bringing to light the things that we've already known. All of you know Psalm uh, 23, the Lord is my shepherd. John picks that up in John chapter 10. The Lord is the great shepherd, the good shepherd. But in, in Psalm 23, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He takes care of me. I don't have need of anything. He's given me what I need, I truly need. Yes, I want a lot more, but I'm not lacking. I've got the righteousness of Christ. I've got eternal security. And when I live this life, yea, though I go through the valleys of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear because, God, you're with me, Emmanuel. And when I get to the end of my life, he says, and before I dwell in the house of the Lord forever, goodness and mercy are going to flow out from me. I always think of it like a boat, that when a boat cuts through the water, it makes waves, right? It makes a wake. 
And uh, if you've been in a canoe or a kayak and you're going down one of those uh, tributaries, everything is calm until the boat comes by. And you need to make sure that you turn your thing right so you don't tip over. But, but the wake that Christians leave behind are not nasty waves. Surely, goodness and mercy are the wake that we leave behind. Is that the truth these days? Or are you caught up into the secularism of divisiveness? Are you caught up into believing a different gospel? In the, in the newsletter, I hope that you'll read, I, always, I often have been saying that the world is peddling a different false gospel. They're telling you all about long life. They're talking about safer life. They're talking about a more equitable life. And some are even talking about a greener life. It's not the same as eternal life. John did not tell us what Luke did, that the angel said, for unto you is born a savior. But John told us in John chapter 3, that in order for you to not perish, you must believe in God. Now, if you have your Bibles open, you can see it there, uh, and then I'll touch on Revelation and we'll finish. Is in John chapter 3. Why did he have this conversation about that there's going to be some that perish? If you look at John 3, verse 16, for God loved, so that's what happened. In verse 15, he says, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But in verse 17, the next verse, for God did not send Jesus into this world to condemn the world. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus came Christmas. Did he come to condemn the world? No, John tells us he didn't have to come to condemn the world. You know why he didn't have to condemn the world? Where was the world going? The world is going to hell. And I'm not just making that up. If you read Romans, Paul explains it very well. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good, not one. There's not even one that seeketh after God's agenda. You may say, oh, well, I'm, I'm searching for God, but unless God begins to work in you, it's not going to happen. People are, are prone to do what's right in their own eyes. And that's all the way back in Judges, you see it. All the way back in Genesis, you see it. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. His purpose for coming here was not to say, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you rejected me. No, he came to save his people from their sins. That's what Matthew told us. That's why he's named Jesus, Yeshua. And if you look at John, he said, this is the one who will save you. And I wrap up with this, and I could touch on Romans a little bit, but on, on Revelation, but I'm not going to go long. How do you believe? To as many as received him. What does it mean to receive him? I have a prop right here, I could say. Is that somebody put this in my hands? Okay. Now, how did it get to me? Somebody gave it. Okay. You can see it was gift wrapped, so it was intended to be a gift. You see, salvation is something that God does for us as a gift. If you go to Ephesians, Paul even calls it a gift, the Doron. He says that we're saved by grace, not by works, lest any man would boast. For we are, we are God's handiwork. God works it all together. But it's so wonderful that he gives a gift. So how do you receive that gift this Christmas? Hmm. Do you have to stick out your hands? Do you have to stand up? Do you have to raise your hand? Do you have to close your eyes? Do you have to come forward? I'm kind of giving you a rhetorical answer. Do you see who Jesus is? Has God opened your eyes of faith? 
to apprehend that the one who came that first Christmas is the eternal one. The one that came that Christmas is the Christ. I pray that in the silence and the quietness of this moment, you might see it. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, John tells us a lot more in the book of Revelation about what it's going to be like when he comes again. If we were to take the time to read those texts, we would realize that there's going to be a great separation. When Jesus comes again, it's not going to be people re rejecting him or people receiving him. It's going to be him coming to separate. It's going to be him coming to receive us. As it says in John 14, that where I am, Jesus said, that's where you will be also. He'll receive us to himself. But to those whose name is not written in the Lamb Book of Life, to those who have never received the forgiveness that Christ brought by his atoning work on Calvary, they will, they will be separate. Lord, it's a sad thought. In today's world, there's more people concerned whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated. Lord, I pray that we would be concerned more about whether people are forgiven or whether they haven't yet been. Lord, we have opportunity to go into the, all the world and to do what the shepherds did. Go tell it on the mountain, as we just said. But in the quietness of this moment, in the silence of this moment, in the quietness of this moment, we pray that you will touch our hearts, that we might receive anew that the dear Christ would enter into our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.